Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. When a Canadian citizen goes missing or becomes the victim of a crime while abroad, there's a strong hope and expectation that Canada will extend its support to them and their families in their time of need. The compassionate and caring spirit represented by the maple leaf instills confidence that help will arrive promptly. This support can manifest in various ways, such as guiding families through unfamiliar foreign policies, providing crucial advice or even offering assistance to local investigation teams that may lack adequate resources. However, it's disheartening to discover that unless a case receives significant media attention or is deemed high-profile, the Canadian government's ability to provide assistance can be limited. An unfortunate example of this occurred in 2017 when a Canadian businesswoman and her American ex-Marine boyfriend vanished in the tranquil coastal town of Corozal, Belize. Tragically, their lifeless bodies were discovered days later in a sugarcane field. Despite the passage of five years, their murders remain unresolved, further exacerbated by the country's low conviction rate. It is a somber reality that this case may remain unsolved. In this episode, we discuss the double homicide of Francesca Mattis and Drew Dvorsny. And you are listening to True North True Crime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. Whether you are new to True North True Crime or a longtime listener, we're glad you're here. True North True Crime is an independent Canadian podcast bringing awareness to missing people and victims of violent crime. We always prioritize cases that come to us directly from family members or close contacts. If you have a case suggestion for us or need help raising awareness for a missing or murdered person, you can reach out to us at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. And with that, let's get right into this episode. So in this episode, we are talking about the 2017 murder of 52-year-old Francesca Mattis and 36-year-old Drew Dvorsny. 
At the time of her death, Francesca Mattis was a Canadian citizen who split her time living between Canada and Belize. In 2017, Francesca was staying in Belize with her boyfriend Drew Dvorsny, who was an American citizen. Drew also lived between Belize and his home in the United States. The two were initially reported missing, however their bodies were found days later. While one man was initially arrested, the crime remains unsolved to this day. And it seems that both the Canadian and U.S. officials are unable to help in this investigation. We assembled this episode using publicly available news articles from the United States, Belize, and Canada, as well as news conferences from the Belizean authorities. As an additional content warning, this episode contains content related to several brutal homicides. So as mentioned, on this episode, we are heading back to Belize. You may remember we covered the suspicious death of Henry Jamot in episode 49. Henry was shot by a Canadian businesswoman as the two allegedly played with a gun on a pier. And that case has just had, well, I wouldn't call it a resolution, but there is an update as of June 1st. Jasmine Harton, 34, was handed a 30,000-pound fine and 300 hours of community service, according to local reports. Jasmine pled guilty in April to the manslaughter of Henry Jamot. Jasmine is a Canadian socialite and is the former partner of Andrew Ashcroft, who is the son of a prominent UK businessman, Lord Michael Ashcroft. They have a lot of money and power behind them in Belize, so one wonders if that's how she avoided jail time. For those that need a refresher on the country of Belize, Belize is a small nation located on the eastern coast of Central America. With its pristine beaches, crystal clear turquoise waters, and the breathtaking Belize Barrier Reef, it's a paradise for nature enthusiasts and beach lovers. The country boasts the largest barrier reef system in the Northern Hemisphere, offering endless opportunities for snorkeling, diving, and exploring vibrant coral reefs teeming with marine life. Beyond its coastline, Belize's interior is adorned with dense rainforests, ancient Mayan ruins, and a diverse array of flora and fauna, making it a haven for adventurers and history buffs alike. But Belize is not just about its natural wonders. It is also a cultural melting pot. Influences from Mayan, Creole, and other cultures intermingle, creating a rich tapestry of traditions, music, and cuisine. In addition to its natural beauty and cultural heritage, Belize offers a sense of tranquility and escape from the bustling modern world. The slower pace of life, the unhurried rhythm of the Caribbean, and the laid-back charm of its coastal villages create an atmosphere of relaxation and rejuvenation. Whether you seek adventure in the great outdoors, a deeper understanding of ancient civilizations, or simply a chance to unwind in a tropical paradise, Belize has something to offer every kind of traveler, and it leaves a lasting impression of awe and wonder. And travel they do. Tourists flock to Belize for the beauty. Expats, on the other hand, are attracted to Belize for its affordable cost of living, welcoming community, and opportunities for adventure and entrepreneurship. They enjoy a laid-back lifestyle, often residing in coastal towns or tranquil countryside settings. While finding the numbers on expats living in Belize is not easy, it has been estimated that over 500,000 tourists visit Belize each year. There are a few articles out there that decry Belize as a dangerous place, and it is, sort of. There is quite a bit of cartel or gang activity in Belize, and there are socioeconomic factors that create an environment that can be dangerous. 
The tiny Central American country with just 400,000 people is notable for a high murder rate, the seventh highest per capita murder rate in the world in 2020, with 38 murders per 100,000 people, according to a study by World Atlas. At the very top of that list was El Salvador with 62 murders per 100,000 people, followed by Jamaica at 57 and Venezuela at 56. Canada placed 151st on that list at 1.8 per 100,000 people. While the murder rate is high in Belize, the conviction rate is low. An advisory by the U.S. State Department states, quote, most crimes remain unresolved and unprosecuted. In 2017, Drew Dvorsny was 36 years old when the murders happened. He was born and raised in the southern United States, the oldest of two sons. Dvorsny was born in Thomasville, Georgia, less than 40 miles north of Tallahassee, Florida. Nicknamed Devo, he was described in his younger years as intelligent and restless. Drew grew up in Nashville, Tennessee and graduated high school there. After receiving scholarships for both academic and athletic achievement, Drew attended a private Christian college in North Carolina. He studied philosophy and theology before dropping out to join the Marines after the September 11th terrorist attacks. The 9-11 terrorist attacks had a profound effect on Drew and he wanted to help in some way by enlisting to fight in the emerging war. In 2004, he was stationed in Fallujah, Iraq, where he took part in the dark and brutal battle named the Second Battle of Fallujah. Drew and his close friend Brandon Barfield narrowly survived multiple rocket-propelled grenade attacks. When not on the battlefield, Drew would often pull out his guitar and play some Allman Brothers or Leonard Skinnerd while they rested in their bunks. After doing tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, he left the military. He then worked as a private contractor in both of these regions, teaching Marines how to use computer equipment in the field. Speaking of his time in the war to his mom, he said quite simply, quote, it was a very scary time and a scary place to be. According to his official military personnel file, Corporal Dvorsny entered active duty at Charlotte, North Carolina and served from November 2003 until November 2011 as a data network specialist. He deployed twice to Iraq, the first time in 2004 and the second time in 2006. His last assignment was with the 11 Marine Regiment, 1st Marine Division at Camp Pendleton in California. During his service, he was awarded several awards, including the Marine Corps Good Conduct Medal, Sea Service Deployment Ribbon, Iraq Campaign Medal, Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, National Defense Service Medal, and the Navy Unit Commendation. Drew was known as a kind man who enjoyed hanging out with people, but he also liked spending time alone. He was very athletic. At six foot six with military training, he could take care of himself in a fight if needed. Drew shared a house in West Palm Beach, Florida with his Marine friend, Brandon Barfield. When they both returned home from the war, they bought five acres near Corozal Bay in Belize, planning to develop a vacation home there. Those in Corozal who knew Drew spoke of his big-heartedness and his helpful nature. It was in Corozal that Drew met Francesca Mattis. Francesca Mattis was 52 years old at the time of the murders in 2017. Raised in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, with a close-knit Italian-Canadian family, she later lived in Toronto, Markham, and Keswick, Ontario. Following her time at Mount St. Joseph College, she delved into the realm of real estate investment and became the proud owner of five properties in the Toronto region. 
Today, her 23-year-old twin sons continue to reside in the greater Toronto area. Francesca worked in property management and property development, as well as owning her own portfolio of properties. She was an incredibly successful person with strong business skills. According to her LinkedIn profile, she was the owner and president of Boardwalk Developments, and her bio states, investor slash property manager. People were drawn to Francesca, and she had a lot of friends, and she also loved to travel. Her brother recommended Belize to her, and she fell in love. In 2013, she bought a beautiful waterfront property in Corozal Bay, located in a community known as Serenity Sands. She spent her springs and summers in Toronto and her falls and winters in Belize. While in Belize, she worked remotely or she would take some time to lay on her hammock staring out at the Caribbean Sea. She made a lot of friends in the community of expats there. Her friends in Belize describe her as someone full of life, love, and passion. She was full of light and positive energy and buoyed those around her. And it was in Corazal that Francesca met Drew. The two hit it off and began dating in the winter of 2016. They were often seen out and about in Corazal. So if you are like me and you don't know much about Belize, Corozal is a town located in northern Belize, near the border with Mexico. It serves as the capital of the Corozal district and is situated along the scenic Corozal Bay, facing the Caribbean Sea. Corozal is located about 84 miles or 135 kilometers north of Belize City. The economy of Corozal is primarily based in agriculture, with sugarcane, citrus, and corn being the main crops in the region. In recent years, though, Corozal has seen an increase in tourism as visitors are drawn to its natural beauty and proximity to Mexico. Along with this type of tourism have come the house hunter international types looking to cash in from their metropolitan lives in North America for a slower and more sunny lifestyle. We are now going to get into the timeline leading up to Francesca and Drew's disappearance. So Francesca had spent a few years in Corozal, but it seemed like even that adventure was coming to an end. In the spring of 2017, Francesca sold her oceanfront property in Corozal. She had planned a whole new adventure, Italy. It was her plan to return to the old country and to live part of her life in Italy while living the other half in southern Ontario. The decision was made, the property sold, and a plane ticket back to Toronto was booked. Drew had been living in Belize since December of 2016, and he too had decided to return home. He planned to leave Belize that same week as Francesca and return to the United States to attend a trade school with his younger brother. But first, Francesca and Drew were going to hit the town and spend Francesca's last night in Belize with friends. So on the evening of Tuesday, April 25th, 2017, they went to Scotty's Bar to meet some friends. Now, Scotty's Bar is a popular spot in Corozal, located on First Avenue in Corozal Town. And now this location, Scotty's Bar, is actually quite close to Francesca's home. By all accounts, everyone had a good time, they were in good spirits, and at some point in the night, Francesca did an online check-in to her WestJet flight that was scheduled to leave uh, and take her back to Toronto the next morning. She had also arranged for her friend Joe Milholan, an American who was friends with the pair, um, to take her to the airport the next morning. Milholan is a former deputy sheriff from Georgia, and he was one of the last people to see the couple alive. At around 10.45 p.m., Drew and Francesca said their goodbyes to their friends and made their way 
back to Francesca's home. Francesca was seen driving. No one can be clear about what happened next. The next morning, Wednesday, April 26, 2017, at around 8.30 a.m., Joe Milholland drove down the dirt road towards Francesca's home. It was at the very end of the road. He then arrived at Francesca's to take her to the airport. But when he showed up, no one was home. Drew's motorcycle was there. Francesca's truck, a white 1998 Zuzu rodeo with a broken mirror on the passenger side, was not there. Upon closer inspection, Joe could see that Francesca's suitcases were still inside the house, packed and ready to go. Joe stood outside the home and continued calling Francesca for about 30 minutes, but she didn't answer. Joe became concerned. This was out of character for both Drew and Francesca. They're both reliable, professional people. Joe's police skills kicked in. Detecting an issue, he reached out to Francesca's brother, Tony, who was living in Canada, who subsequently contacted WestJet to inquire about her flight check-in to Toronto. Upon learning from the airline that Francesca had indeed checked in, their concerns subsided momentarily. However, their worries resurfaced hours later when the plane arrived in Toronto without Francesca on board. After waiting 24 hours, Joe Milholland informed the local authorities on Thursday, April 27th about the disappearances. Quickly, suspicion turned to Drew. Had he done something to Francesca? Francesca's brother Tony called Drew's brother Dave in Georgia, and he asked him a very blunt question. Quote, Is this something your brother could do? Dave responded, Absolutely not, and Tony believed him. When police searched Francesca's home, they found the couple's passports, personal documents, an envelope of cash, and all of their belongings. Drew's best friend in the United States, Brandon Barfield, the man he had spent time in Iraq with, sprang into action after learning that Drew was missing in Belize. Brandon alerted the FBI, he started a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for hiring a private investigator, and he traveled to Belize, transforming himself into an amateur detective and interviewing dozens of people about what happened. Search parties were formed and a grid search began from Scotty's bar to as far as people could go. Brandon worked tirelessly to engage the people of Corozal to search for the missing couple. Locals and tourists spent days looking. But all of the searches proved fruitless. Social media lit up with people sharing photos and posters. Media in Canada and Belize and the United States picked up on the story. The searches in Belize continued until there was a break. A few days later, on Sunday, April 30th, 2017, a hunter was walking through a cane field in Paraiso Village. This was roughly about 15 kilometers or two villages over from where the couple lived. It was there that the hunter discovered Francesca's white 1998 Zuzu Rodeo with the broken mirror. The car had been stripped of some of its parts, including the battery. This suggested that the car had been sitting for long enough for people to steal items from it. Joe Milholland told Global News that the discovery of the car didn't offer up as many clues as they had hoped. He stated, quote, There is very little evidence, almost nothing to give even a clue as to what may have happened. Even the registration was gone and the keys were gone, so nothing really to tell us anything. The only thing it means is that we've switched our focus from the car now, as we have it, to trying to figure out where they went from there. But then on Monday, May 1st, 
just six days after the couple was last seen, another discovery was made. A group of agriculture workers were working in a sugarcane field six kilometers away from where the truck was found. The area is described as a mile down a main road and then about a mile down a feeder road into the cane field. This isolated area is where the workers discovered two bodies. The bodies were badly decomposed. What appeared to be a male body was partially on top of what was assumed to be a female body. The authorities were called and arrived at the scene. The bodies were in such an advanced state of decomposition that the authorities believed the best course of action was to perform autopsies at the site. We have personally never heard of this being done before, but we will touch on the reasons why later in the episode. The bodies were later positively identified as 52-year-old Canadian Francesca Mattis and 36-year-old American Drew Dvorsny. Both had been scheduled to leave Belize that week. Both had families and loved ones waiting for them to come home. Both Francesca and Drew's lives came to a tragic end in a sugarcane field in Belize. We are now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we will look at the investigation, the evidence, the theories, and where the case sits today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, we are back. So before the break, we outlined the lives of Francesca Mattis and Drew Dvorsny, a couple from the U.S. and Canada who spent some of their time in the country of Belize. The night before Francesca was to board a flight back to Toronto, the couple went out for drinks with friends. Then, the next morning, it was apparent that they were missing. After five days of searching, Francesca's vehicle was found in a sugarcane field. One day later, their bodies were found in a different sugarcane field. Their bodies were badly decomposed. The following is a clip of the official news conference held in Corozal and reported by Channel 5 Belize. And on Monday afternoon, the worst fear of the search team was realized. Caneros working in the Chan Chan village would make the gruesome find within a cane field about a mile down the feeder road just before 5 p.m. It's about a mile and a half on the main road and a mile in a feeder road 
in a cane field, yes, we have saw the two bodies. The male is partially on top of the female. Scenes of crime were calling. Scene was processed. The body was in an advanced state of the composition where the export, the doctors was calling and the autopsy was done on site. Upon conclusion of the autopsy, the doctor, doctors, I have to say, conclude that the cause of death was massive strangulation. A post-mortem conducted on site would confirm that Matos and Divorce were bound at the risk with duct tape before they were both manually strangled to death. It is not known if the couple was killed on the scene or their bodies simply dumped in the area. But who would commit such a heinous crime on them and why? At this point in time, we could not um, ascertain, but what I could say that the female had on her jewelry. But to say that theft was a motive, we cannot say at this point. Okay, but uh, were there still personal effects in the vehicle? So the vehicle was clean, the battery was gone also. We are looking at some threats that was made. That's all to it so far. Which one of them, sir? The female. That's all to it so far. So there's a lot to unpack in that clip, but first let's talk about the autopsy. Francesca was 5'1 and had a slim figure, and Drew was a very fit 6'6 man and a former Marine with two tours under his belt. The couple was found with Drew partially on top of Francesca. They were both bound separately with duct tape on their wrists and duct tape on their mouths. Drew and Francesca were still wearing the clothes from the night before. Drew had on a Toronto Maple Leaf shirt someone gave him as a joke, and Francesca was also wearing pink denim shorts, a white blouse, and wedge shoes. They had both been violently strangled. In fact, one of them was strangled so brutally that their neck was broken. This indicated that an immense amount of power was needed to subdue Drew and Francesca, to then bind them and murder them in such a violent way. This also indicates that multiple assailants were involved in this crime. Francesca still had her jewelry on and Drew was in possession of his wallet, indicating that robbery was not a motive in this crime. An interesting piece here is that the field they were found in was scheduled to be burned that week, whether the assailants knew this or not is unknown. Another part that is interesting in the press conference is that the official states that there were threats levied at Francesca, or as he said, quote, the female. And we will explore those alleged threats later. First, we want to take a look at some of the concerns that appeared early on in the investigation. Earlier, we mentioned that an autopsy was conducted at the scene in a sugarcane field. Well, Joe Milholland was actually there in the first few hours after the bodies were discovered. He described what he saw that day to multiple media outlets. In multiple articles, it was clear that local law enforcement in Belize faced significant challenges in effectively responding to serious criminal incidents due to limited resources. This issue became apparent when the bodies were discovered by farm workers on May 1st, 2017. Joe recalled being contacted by the police to identify the bodies in the early afternoon of May 1st, and when he arrived at the field later in the afternoon, a detective instructed him to wait until the pathologist arrived. However, 
The pathologist's arrival was delayed, and they had to wait throughout the night. Joe mentioned in an interview that the detective explained how overwhelmed they were due to a surge in murders and suspicious deaths. Eventually, around 5.45 a.m., the pathologist arrived, but unfortunately, they didn't have the necessary supplies, such as body bags, to transport the bodies from the bush. Joe was determined to find a solution and went to the local hospital, but they didn't have any body bags either. Through his connections with the U.S. Embassy in Belize and some other acquaintances, he did manage to obtain two body bags. He returned to the field with the body bags, and Joe found that Francesca was lying on an old wooden door while Drew was being carried out on a large piece of plywood. Reflecting on the experience, Joe expressed the emotional toll it took on him. In that moment, he expressed feelings of being overwhelmed and shaken by the events that unfolded. He was literally watching his friends being pulled out of the bush on an old door and a piece of wood. Francesca's brother, Tony, expressed his concerns about the investigation to the Toronto Star, stating, quote, They didn't even have a body bag. My sister got brought out on an old door. Drew was brought out on a piece of plywood. Once the cause of death was determined at the scene, again in a sugar field, with the bodies held on pieces of found wood, the authorities did not know what to do with the bodies. Apparently, the morgue refused to accept partially decomposed bodies, so a decision needed to be made by the families. They were left with two choices. Find storage for their loved ones' partially decomposed bodies and ship them home, or cremate them and this choice needed to be made immediately. So Joe got in touch with the families and presented them with these two impossible options. The families agreed to have their loved ones cremated and sent home in urns. So just to recap here, at the scene where the bodies were found, a crime scene, there was little to no forensic testing. The scene was chaotic, and forensic evidence that may have been at the scene was possibly overlooked. An autopsy was done in an open field, and we can only guess that this is, you know, mostly a visual autopsy. Then the bodies were quickly released, cremated, and sent home. This does not seem like the best way to find possible DNA or other forensic evidence. We've all heard of cases where the victim left clues for the authorities, perhaps under their fingernails from scratching or in their mouths from biting or somewhere from fighting back. If a large struggle took place, the body could help them find the truth. But that just didn't happen here. It has been widely reported that an arrest was made in this case, and there was, but the arrest in itself was strange. Perhaps feeling the pressure of the international attention that was mounting, the Belizean authorities did make an arrest. Shortly after the bodies were discovered, police arrested 54-year-old John Deshays. John, a construction worker from Barrie, Ontario, was renting a suite in Francesca's home along with his girlfriend. For 10 days, John was held at an undisclosed Belizean jail. His family did their best in Canada to try to find him. They reached out to Canadian authorities for help. John's son said the following to CBC News, quote, For three days we were trying to get the consulate to find out where my dad was, but they couldn't find him. We needed some help from the Canadian government, but got nothing. You can't just leave the guy and walk away from it. The Canadian government was unable to help, so the family hired a lawyer who was able to get John out on bail. 
John described his time being interrogated to CBC News, quote, I thought I was going to die in there. He described being scared of one of the detectives who questioned him in jail where he was called just another worthless gringo. John states that the detective, he pumped himself up, said he knew Taekwondo and could kill a man with his bare hands, then yelled at me, do you believe in God? You killed them. I was like, what's happening? The only evidence that tied John to the murders was the fact that he was Francesca's tenant. There is also a neighbor who claims that Deshaies was arguing loudly with Francesca over money one night. That witness, named Don Richardson, who is well-known in Corazal and who allegedly cracked a beer bottle over Deshaies' head at Scotty's Bar and Grill in March of 2017. Deshaies pressed charges against Richardson over this bottle incident. It seems that Don Richardson, who is 80, has a bit of a vendetta against Deshaies over some contracting work and the bar fight. His credibility as a witness is not great. Eventually, John Deshaies was released and cleared. However, authorities decided to charge him with a theft from a casino. The charges related to computers, iPads, and tech gear. However, Deshaies said he did not steal anything and that his possession of these items related to work he was doing for the casino. An outsider observing this case could draw the conclusion that the theft charges were a tactic to keep John in the country. Here's another segment from Channel 5 Belize where John explains his innocence on the theft charges and his friendship with Francesca. In the next few minutes, a person of interest in the Corazal double murder of Canadian-American couple Francesca Matos and Drew Thomas Devorsny will be paraded up these steps to the Independence Magistrates Court. A 54-year-old Canadian national, John DeSais, is expected to be charged for offenses in relation to theft at the Placencia Casino, which occurred earlier this year. Around 1.30 p.m., DeSais arrived at the Independence Police Station and within minutes was escorted to the court, where he appeared unrepresented before Magistrate De Moya. He had been criminally charged for two offenses, the theft of $57,378 worth of data servers with hard drives, laptops, tablets, 14 gaming machines, external hard drive, electronic chips, and adopters, among other miscellany. The second charge was for handling stolen goods. On Thursday, the chaise was transported from Placencia to Corazal in handcuffs, where he led police to where he lived on Serenity Street in Consejo to recover the stolen items from the casino. $52,018 worth of the unlawfully obtained items were retrieved and taken back to Placencia. No plea was taken from the chaise since the matter will be dealt by indictment before the Supreme Court. During arraignment, the chase, who says he's a building contractor by profession, claimed that his attorney, Esteban Pereira, was unable to make it to court in time. He, however, made a brief statement to our cameras while exiting the courtroom. This, this was a job matter. This was, this was me doing my job. And so you believe that oh, you're wrongly accused? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sir, so what now? Because now you're being remanded to the prison. Well, we're going to find it. During his arraignment, the prosecutor, Sergeant Kenneth Magdaleno, objected to bail on four counts, the gravity of the charges due to the volume and value of the stolen items, considering that the chase is a flight risk, and also that the case has caused national and international alarm. 
But the nail in the coffin is that the Canadian national is a suspect and is under investigation by officers in the Corozal jurisdiction for the murder of his landlady and her American boyfriend. We have one person that we believe can assist us in our investigation. Is that person in custody? Um, so far, yes. Is he, a, is he a local? I'd rather not say. Oftentimes, these crimes may involve someone with some familiarity or intimacy because he's an ex-marine. He's, mm -hmm. according to his physical description, six foot six, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. It's not someone lightly taken on. Um, are you able to say if the, if the suspect or may have had some familiarity that these people were not on their guard then? Because taking down a six foot six Marine and strangling him, it wouldn't appear to be a quite easy thing. You'd need a very large or a significant number of people to do that. At this point, the, the, the investigation is still in, the, in its infancy stage, and we are looking on that angle also. At this point, we cannot say. Can you please ask, were you involved in the murder of your landlord, Francisca Matos? Not at all. No, she's a very good friend of mine. Absolutely not. You lived with her, sir? Yes, I did. The chase was remanded to the Hattieville prison until November 6th, when disclosure is to occur, followed by a preliminary inquiry on November 23rd. Dwayne Moody for News 5. In a separate interview, John DeShay stated, I'm assuming I'm accused because I live in the same house. Otherwise, nothing ever happened between us to make anyone think that. He added that he's cooperating with the FBI investigation in the couple's murder. He said, They've taken my DNA, they've checked my vehicles, they've checked my entire house. There's no reason I would need counsel. Neither Francesca nor Drew's family believes that John has anything to do with the murders. Francesca's brother stated, there's no way in hell John killed Francesca. It seemed that in the spring of 2017, law enforcement in Belize had their hands full with multiple murders occurring in a short time frame, specifically in Corozal. 34-year-old Zaidi Orozco and 42-year-old Balthazar Lopez were last seen on May 31st, apparently hanging out by the ocean. Their families launched search parties across Corozal District looking for their loved ones. The couple's burnt-out vehicle was discovered two days later, on Friday, June 2nd, 2017. Then, around 2 o'clock on June 7th, their family's worst fears were confirmed when the bodies of the missing couple were discovered off a feeder road. Searchers came up on the badly decomposed bodies at that time. From our research, this murder remains unsolved. Also that spring, on April 24th, a man was found dead in a sugarcane field in Corozal. He had been wrapped up in a hammock and then stuffed in his own couch and dumped in a field. 42-year-old Elazar Chanman was from Belize and worked as a customs broker. Two teens from a nearby village were later charged with this crime. Suffice to say, officials in Corozal were quite busy and perhaps even overwhelmed in 2017. As of recording this podcast episode on June 3rd, 2023, the murders of Francesca Mattis and Drew Dvorsny remain unsolved. There have been a few theories that have floated around. The first was made by law enforcement. 
They stated in a press conference that they were investigating threats that were aimed at Francesca before the murders. The following is from an article in the Toronto Sun. Detectives are working on a number of theories, including robbery, jealousy, and a possible real estate deal that may have gone sideways. We are looking at some threats that were made, Senior Superintendent Dennis Arnold said, adding the threats were made against Francesca, a real estate investor. Arnold told reporters Francesca did not report the threats to cops. He would not specify if the threats were against Francesca. Just open threats. I believe if a report of that threat to Miss Francesca had been made, maybe she would be alive today, he said. Arnold also pointed an accusing finger at the tight-knit Corazal expat community of 300 strong. I believe that members in the community, their community, knows exactly what was happening, Arnold said, hinting the slayings may have been at the hands of foreigners. Police earlier said the couple, quote, had a lot of money on them. The owner of Scotty's, the bar the couple was at the night they disappeared, told Seven News Belize whispers the murders were connected to the expat community were pure speculation. He stated, If it was an expat, I'd be very surprised. They were both very well liked throughout the whole community, so it hit people hard. In that article, the police point the finger at the expat community and claim that Francesca had received threats, and her family has not been able to confirm these threats at all. In fact, the police have not disclosed what those threats were, just that they existed. But there is also the idea or the theory that a real estate deal had soured. People living in Corozal have heavily implied that the real estate development industry in that area is, quote, like the Wild West. The following is again from the Toronto Star. The article starts off with a bit of a um, sensationalized title. It says, quote, Unscrupulous Belize real estate speculation may be behind the double murder of Francesca Mattis and her American boyfriend. The article goes on to say, A longtime real estate developer in Corozal told The Sun that John Deshays, a local contractor, is being set up as a patsy. He didn't do it, the source said. I sold him that blue truck. He's a great guy. But the developer and local media experts report that Real estate development in Belize is a virtual shooting gallery. People buy properties that don't exist and land swindles are common. Then there is violence. The article goes on to quote the source who says, That's why people in Corozal aren't saying anything about the murders. They're terrified. They know who is behind all of this and they are very afraid of him, meaning one person. The insider believes that Francesca may have been collateral damage and that the target was either John Deshays or Drew Dvorsny. We should also note here that in a recent interview, John Deshays, who drove a similar looking vehicle to Francesca, tearfully voiced concern that maybe he was perhaps the intended target. So was this a case of mistaken identity? Or was Francesca caught up in something that really had nothing to do with her? And who is the article referring to as him? Despite all of the speculation, this case remains unsolved. And due to Belize's low conviction rate, it is likely to remain unsolved. The individuals responsible for the tragic murders of Francesca Mattis and Drew Dvorsny had motives beyond mere financial gain. According to Francesca's brother, Tony Reno, This was not a random act, but a deliberate and targeted hit, possibly a case of mistaken identity. 
In an interview with the Toronto Star, Tony asserted with certainty, it was definitely a hit. If it was a robbery, they would have taken everything. Nothing was stolen except for my sister's cell phone. People know what happened, but no one is coming forward. As Tony delved further into his investigation of his sister's murder, he encountered a troubling lack of transparency from the Belizean authorities, further clouding the situation. Questions arose regarding how the couple was taken to the sugarcane field, which was scheduled for burning within a few days. Did the assailant or assailants have prior knowledge of the planned fire, hoping it would erase any evidence? Tony pondered how Francesca, who stood at a petite five foot one and drew an athletic six foot six combat-hardened ex-U.S. Marine from Georgia, were subdued. He couldn't fathom how Drew, a robust and experienced fighter who had completed two combat tours, could easily be overpowered. Tony concluded, The only way it could have happened is if it involved a group of armed individuals. Tony speculated whether Francesca was mistakenly pulled over, triggering a series of events that spiraled out of control. Tony drew attention to the presence of grease on the steering wheel, suggesting an attempt to conceal fingerprints, stating, Hitmen know how to cover their tracks. Tony continues to grapple with the perplexing circumstances surrounding his sister's murder, determined to uncover the truth and find answers amidst the maze of unanswered questions. In May of 2017, friends and neighbors gathered at Francesca's home in Keswick, Ontario to lay flowers and cards at a makeshift memorial on her front lawn. Then a funeral was held in Richmond Hill on May 11, 2017. Francesca's cousin, Ivana, said the funeral was a beautiful service during which all the ugliness and brutality surrounding her death didn't exist. Ivana says the eulogies and messages that have been shared about Francesca were a true testament to the amazing human being that she was. Her ashes now rest in an urn placed in a niche at Highland Memory Gardens in Toronto. This niche is situated across from the future burial site of her 80-year-old mother. Her mother stated, This way we can always gaze upon each other. On May 19, 2017, Drew Dvorsny was laid to rest during a special military ceremony at Nashville National Cemetery in Tennessee. Marines participated in the ceremony. Drew's mother, Shar, was presented with a U.S. flag. Taps was performed and a memorial service was held at a separate location later that day in Nashville. Shar was quoted as saying, I think about him every day, as does his younger brother David. Drew's best friend, Brandon Barfield, stated, We are still pursuing justice. We are doing all that we can so that Drew and Francesca's deaths won't be forgotten. We won't be quiet. You may be wondering what the U.S. and Canadian governments are doing in this case. Well, Belizean National Police have stated that they are now getting assistance from FBI officers. When asked if Canada has offered assistance, the Belize spokesperson said that no such help has been offered by the RCMP. Quote, we haven't heard anything from them. The RCMP will neither confirm or deny when it is assisting in foreign cases. In 2017, the Canadian government said it is assisting both the families of the Canadian who was arrested, John Deshays, and victim Francesca Mattis. In a statement, a global affairs spokesperson said officials remain in regular contact with local authorities to gather additional information, 
but would not provide further information citing privacy considerations. Global Affairs Canada says 190 Canadians have been killed in foreign countries between 2013 and 2017, and that does not include cases where the families of the victims chose to not seek assistance from Ottawa. In an interview with CBC, Walter McKay, a policing and security expert, said the government's ability to help in such murder cases is limited. Walter stated the following, They have no powers of authority. My advice is, don't expect any help. Don't expect justice, because you won't get it. As bleak as this case seems, we do honestly hope that justice can be found for the victims. But with this under-resourced police force, a seemingly botched investigation an under-resourced justice system, it's difficult to see that happening. We would like to thank you for joining us for this episode. We appreciate you also very, very much for joining us week after week. We will be back soon with a new episode of True North True Crime. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.